love for us and so many things you've done already lord in our midst you just are so anxious and eager to bless us and to help us and to love on us so we love you back jesus and we thank you for what you're doing here through your mighty mighty word we thank you for it father in jesus name amen praise god amen 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 so none of these diseases is what the Lord's telling us. And so in Exodus chapter 15, if you want to turn there. Thank you, Jesus. And in verse 26, we see our covenant of healing with God explained. And he talks about in verse 23. Now, whenever God would introduce himself to people, whenever he would show up, it was usually in response to their faith which is sometimes expressed in different ways in the Bible. Sometimes it's expressed through a prayer. Sometimes it's just expressed in words that describe that they have a need. And so God has to respond to us whenever faith is exercised. I can remember uh, uh, when, when we started talking about prayer and, and I would do teachings on the watchmen and teachings on prayer. And God showed me about eight different kinds of prayer in the Bible. And he showed me that a sigh is a prayer. Huh? It's just an expression of your desire for God and wanting him to come and help you. The children of Israel, they, the Bible said, sighed by reason of the bondage. And then God raised up a deliverer for them. See what I'm saying? So, I mean, even if you're too tired to pray and you can't fall on your knees and just, oh, Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? He hears that. That's an expression of your desire for him. Just as you earthly parents, if you had children that, Mom, I'm so tired. I just don't know. You would come to respond to them. This is the way God sees us as his children. So don't ever get in this legalism about your confession has to be full of, give me a break. You understand what I'm saying? God just has a heart for us. His mercy endures forever, the Bible says. And when he, when we are faithless, the Bible says he's still faithful because he can't deny himself. So he's got to show up because he said he would. So anyway, it says Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea and they went to the wilderness of Shur. This is verse 22. And they found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah for they were bitter which means that they probably had some kind of contamination in them. And people would come up to the water and smell it, and they knew that it wasn't fit to drink. And so the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Now, this is common when you're in leadership. When people aren't satisfied, they'll always murmur against you, even though they can pray and ask God. (laughs) They'll come to you first, so you got to deal with it. And so Moses has to come up with an answer. And so he says in verse 20, they said, ask Moses, what shall we drink? In 25, he cried to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. Now we all know this tree is symbolic of Christ and the work that he did, the atoning work that he did on the cross. And so it says here, when there was cast in, when Jesus shows up, He perfects that which concerns us. Casting that twig in there caused the waters to be made sweet or available for them to drink. And said, there he made for them a statute and an ordinance. This was a law written by God to them. Which means that it's not just for this one time, it's forever. A statute and an ordinance means that God says, I am writing my law here and it will never change. And from this day forward, you will never have to worry about bitter water. It will always be sweet. You'll never have to worry about being thirsty. I'll always be drink for you. He says, I will always provide drink for you wherever you need it. Drink is symbolic of the life of Jesus Christ. He always comes to our rescue. Most of our problems don't have anything to do with our natural circumstances. They have to do with spiritual things. Sometimes all we need is just to get an encouragement from God. And we can keep going until the next time, you know, that we have to pray to him. And so many times all we need is a spiritual drink and we can keep going. But he made a statute and an ordinance. And there he proved them. And he said, if you will diligently hearken. Hmm? Diligent means, to be diligent means to study it. 
just, you know, not a casual thing, not a casual relationship. And see, you see that God, when he makes promises, he expects obedience in kind. He's not going to make a great big promise based on casual obedience. In fact, God wants us totally devoted to him. So that he, that's why he calls us his bride. Nobody wants a part-time marriage. You understand? What I'm Unless y'all just real crazy. You know what I'm saying? I'm talking about Christians. We're all Christians. Or we're not. We can be. <laughs> we'll come up for prayer. But you know what I'm saying? You don't want somebody that you can't rely on. And you don't have a commitment for them. You know, you want something in kind. That's the way God is. Many times we're looking for a major breakthrough and we're sowing minor seed or doing minor obedience. And so God wants us to be totally devoted to him. And if we're totally devoted to him, then all of the promises that he gives are, are just totally true for us. You never have to worry about God coming to your rescue if you're totally sold out to them. And he says this, if you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his sight, not your own thing. But do what's right to God. Give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes. He says this, I will put none of these diseases. None of them. Not even one. You don't get one for your your bad mouth that you're always flipping off at the wrong. None of these diseases. You see what I'm saying? will be put on you that I brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that heals thee. Now, what are the diseases of the Egyptians? In Deuteronomy chapter 28, it talks about the curses that come through disobedience. And God begins to explain to them that this will not happen to them. Because if they walk with him, they're curse-free. Verse 27 in Deuteronomy 28, the Lord will smite you with the botch of Egypt. Those are boils and sores with the emeralds, the scab and the itch whereof you cannot be healed. So the, uh, the, he will smite you with madness, blindness and astonishment of heart. You will grope at noonday as, as the blind grope in darkness. You will not prosper in your ways. You shall be only oppressed and spoiled ever no more and no man shall save you. So the curses go on to describe a failed life. And God says the way to avoid that is to diligently hearken to his voice. Every time God wants to speak to you, you respond and say, yes, God. Every time God tells you to do something, you do it and do it consistently and make a habit of it. If you diligently hearken to his voice and do what's right in his sight, I don't care who's making fun of you. Who's telling you you can do it another way and get over. I don't care what somebody else tells you. If you do what's right in God's sight, you can be disease free. This is your divine health scripture. None of these diseases. You know, sometimes people will teach, you know, that that you got to expect some kind of disease. Well, I ain't expecting none. I'm expecting health. You know, who in his right mind would expect illness anyway? Hmm? Sinners don't want to expect that. They tell Christians not to teach people that you'll never get sick. Well, you know, what does the word of God say? It says none of these diseases. Now, what happens if you get disease or you get symptoms or you feel sick? Well, by the authority of the name of Jesus, you can refuse it. If God said none of them belong to you, then none of them belong to you. See, God did not, illness is not something God created to do something to us. I mean, it really is not. It is not God created. There's nothing wonderful about being sick. Trust me. You lose time off your job. You you lose your prosperity. All the curses are tied in together. If you get sick long enough, eventually your money goes. Your relationships go. You begin, it can be a burden on people. It's terrible what sickness does. This is why Jesus went about, the Bible says, doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Because God was with him. When God's with you, you remove disease. You don't put disease on people. But disease came as part of the curse of the broken law. When laws are broken, there's an automatic penalty that comes with it. 
if you run through a stop sign, you run through that red stop sign, eventually somebody coming from the other side is going to meet you, and there's going to be trouble there at that intersection. So there's any time there's a law established, and that law is broken, there is a penalty for it. But praise be to God, Jesus came and took the curse upon him when he hung on that tree. That curse was buried in that tomb for three days, never to be raised up again. What came out of that tomb was righteousness. The curse was left there. Death was left there. All of the diseases of Egypt were left in there. Egypt represents the world. And, and the worldly tie and, and what living for the world will do for a human in a human body. And the first thing that, that the curse does is it works on your soul. It separates you from God. And then the enemy comes and tells you you're having a good time being separated from him. Amen. See? Because if you're separated from God and all you know is sin, you don't know any better. And you think if God shows up, it's going to be trouble for you somewhere. And so what happens is your soul gets so separated from God that eventually you begin to take a penalty in your body for that separation. Because God will not have you walk in total privilege of everything if you're working against him. There's an automatic penalty when you work against God. And that's why sickness comes. But then when you get born again, righteousness is established. And God says, "Uh uh-uh. The penalty stops right here. No more disease on this one. No more disease. No more disease. No more disease. No more disease. Because I took that already off of them. So now they are free to come to the altar and get healed. They are free to rebuke the sickness in my name. They are free to take the medicine of the word and know it will work on them. They are totally free to receive total provision that the Father has made for us. And so that is our covenant. None of the diseases, none of the diseases, not even one. You, you don't even have to put up with a headache in Jesus' name. You don't have to put up with a headache. You don't have to put up with a headache. Who's got a headache now? Stand up. Who's got one? Anybody got pain? Stand up. And Miss Shirley, why don't you touch Miss Audrey and praise God, command that headache to go. In the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for the anointing that breaks every yoke. We curse you at the root, headache, pain, in Jesus' name. None of the diseases, none of them, 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 none of them. Terrence, why don't you stand up? Go right now, in Jesus' name. It's gone. Amen. Praise God. None of these diseases. None of these diseases. None of these diseases. Amen. Praise the Lord. God is so good. See, he wants you to know he's real. We're not just sitting here talking, thinking maybe it might show up one day. God wants to do this for us now. Amen. He wants to do it for us now. Isaiah 53 is one of my favorites. Hopefully it will be yours as well. Isaiah is a book of restoration. Theologians call it the book of restoration. It talks about God coming back for his scattered people, Israel, and what he's going to do for them. Isaiah prophesied a lot about the Messiah, talked in length about Jesus. Some of the more detailed prophecies about Jesus' life come from this book. In Isaiah chapter 53, it says in verse 3, He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. In other words, Jesus was not appreciated in his time. No, just wasn't. This is true of most servants of God. I mean the hard workers, the ones who are really producing the goods. The devil's going to try to stop you, so he'll try everything. Remember every time Jesus preached, Pharisees showed up and went to kill him? Right on the front row. They never took a back row seat to anything. So they sit up on the front row with daggers wanting to kill him, see. See, we don't have that problem. We can have, you know, nice friends in the ministry come and support our meetings and encourage us with their faith and so forth. But Jesus had it hard. Verse 4 says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. 
But he was wounded for something. This was not in vain. What was he wounded for? You and me. He was wounded for what? Our transgressions. Don't ever let what you did wrong keep you from getting healed. You understand what I'm saying? Please don't let that 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 devil come and, and hover over you and try to tell you. Even if it's something that you, you feel on your inside that you can't get rid of. You know, sometimes people have, have suffered pain or hurt and wounds and things like that. And, and sometimes if you're wounded on the inside, you want to carry around some physical pain. You just think it's a normal thing not to feel good all the way around. But the Bible says Jesus bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. He took all of that away from us. So that even in the healing process, even in the process of receiving that deeper healing from God, we can walk around free of pain, free of disease, free of anything that comes with that. Because God has already paid for us to be totally free. And it says that he was, he was, we did esteem and stricken, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement or punishment of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. So he couldn't do more than he did right there. He took care of your transgressions and that's the stuff you do wrong. Ooh, I mean I slipped up. I didn't mean to. Well, he he died for your mean tos also. Huh? If Scott Peterson could find the Lord, he could get saved just like you and I are saved. You understand what I'm saying? God does not care the depth of your transgression. Jesus died for all of it. He was wounded for our iniquities, and that is our desire to sin. You know, your thoughts can send you to hell. Jesus said that. If you desire, if you lust in your heart. Well, he was wounded for that too. He took care of that. Well, I just can't seem to get over thinking this way. Well, he died for it anyway. So as soon as you realize that he died for it, you'll probably be able to get over it. You see what I'm saying? If you understand that he took your place in that desire to sin, Jesus had that heaped upon himself for your benefit. Then I believe you can come out of it if you know he's already taken it from you. If you know that desire has been dealt with and gone somewhere, And God's not shocked about what you think. And God's not shocked about what you want to do. And God's not shocked about what you did last night or yesterday. Then if you will realize that and that he has already made provision for you. And he has already forgiven you. And he has already said I'm reestablishing you in righteousness so that you can step into sin, repent, get out of sin. And the next moment he can say none of these diseases you deserve because I'm the Lord that heals you. You don't deserve punishment. You don't deserve penalty. You don't deserve it is what Jesus is saying. He's saying you don't deserve it because because of what I did. So if that settles the question of worthy because he took our place. He was our substitute in this. Now does that mean, that you know, as Paul says, does that mean we should all sin so that grace can abound? God forbid. Because I'm telling you, once you meet up with the love of God and you know the forgiveness of God, you won't be so quick to sin the next time. And thinking about trying to get over with a bunch of sin just so you can run and get forgiveness will be distasteful to you. Once you really meet God. So he's taken care of all of that. You cannot abuse this covenant. Most people underuse this covenant. Because many times we just sit back and let the blessings of God pass us by for one reason or another. Instead of reaching out and grabbing them because they are freely given to us. In Matthew 8, it talks about Jesus now when he walked on the earth. These were prophecies about him. So he fulfilled these things through his earthly life and his earthly ministry. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 16, he says, When even was come, they brought unto him many, many, many that were possessed with devils. 
And he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. Everybody left well. And why did he do this? He says that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Jesus went around taking sickness off of people. Just taking it, taking it, taking it, taking it, taking it, taking it, taking it. As the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he went around taking sin off of people. Just taking it, taking it, taking it. Where did he take it to? It was sent away. Away where? It's been annihilated, honey. Don't you know the devil's already chained up, will be chained up? He's bound already by the power of the anointing. But it's been as Jesus takes sin away, it's totally annihilated. It's eaten up by the anointing. The greater power has come and taken that away. He took it because he had the power. The only one who had the power to remove sin was Jesus. That's why when people get sick, listen, I work with sick people for years. I go by hospital rooms. I don't hear nobody calling Mohammed. I don't hear nobody calling Buddha. I don't hear nobody chanting, doing nothing. It's, oh, Jesus, help me. Oh, Jesus, God, help me. Jesus, please help me. Huh? Every human spirit knows who the creator is. Don't let these people fool you. You know, sometimes you get these family members that want to vex you and, I'm into Buddhism. Now, it ain't into nothing, honey. Listen, when the rubber meets the road, it's Jesus that they call on. It's him that they call on. Because they know, they've heard something about that name. They've heard something that that power, and everybody knows when they need that power in their lives. And so Jesus comes, and he just went about doing good and taking sickness and disease off of people. You never see where he stopped once to give somebody some disease. Huh? How many of y'all seen that movie, The Green Mile? How many of y'all? Everybody's seen it. How many of y'all liked it? I ain't going to ask you. (laughs) But there's a situation in there where there's a false healer, a false atonement. See, the devil does this. He gives you enough truth to make it seem like, because see, the Bible says himself took our, he himself, Jesus took our infirmities not what's the guy's name the big dude y'all know who I'm. what's his name huh who john Hoffman. <laughs> but you know and, and a lot of times people will set you up for this false thing because he was kind of a likable guy falsely accused a lot of little messiah things going on in his little situation and he just wants to help people and they have him kind of like suck disease out of people and carrying it around in his body. And then he puts it on somebody else. Well, I figure like this. If he has something going for him, he keep it himself and still live. Jesus is the only one that took disease on himself and still lived through it. Do you see what I'm saying? And so the devil has all these little false stories about here, you know, to keep people confused. But Jesus took it upon himself because he's God. He's got all power. And as he removes disease, it's annihilated. It's done away with. There, It does not exist anymore. So your disease, whatever it is that you had, does not exist anymore because Jesus himself took all of our infirmities and he bore all of our sicknesses. He took them all away. Jesus was considered to be the scapegoat for everything that goes wrong in our lives. In the book of Leviticus, you don't have to turn there, but the way they atoned for their sin on the Day of Atonement was that they had, the Lord had them bring two goats. One was to, what they would do is the, the priest would take, and they had to be perfect and spotless. No throwaway goats. You understand what I'm saying? Because if you want God's best, you've got to bring your best. You understand what I'm saying? He, he demands that. He gives in kind. To the measure that we give, it's measured back to us. See what I'm saying? See, you two are givers. I don't know why I keep messing with them. They need to sit on the back row. But this is the Lord said you both have giving hearts. And this is why he leads you in the places he does. And things are going to be so easy for you to receive provision from God. Everything to everything. Because he, he can trust you now because he knows you give already. 
See, you've sown already, given already, blessed already, helped already. And this is due you as a prophet's reward because God said you receive this word and you'll, you'll work on it. It'll work on you and it'll bless you. Amen. Praise God. I'm, I'm going over there no more. I'm going back up here. <laughs> but this is the thing. And see, God demands in kind. And this is why a perfect sacrifice had to be killed. Now, why would God some, want something perfect and then kill it? It's because it was a demonstration of his son and how perfect he would be in his life, not deserving of any of the penalty that God would put on him. And so God would have them to bring two goats. They would cast lots to see which one would be sacrificed and which one would be the scapegoat. But a scapegoat is somebody that we blame for everything. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, it's just this is just the way. You know, it's. It's like the kid who's always beating up kids in school, always gets clean. Anytime there's a fight, Bubba was doing it. I saw him running from the, you know, scapegoat. Because they make themselves available to have that placed on them by their prior behavior. And so what Jesus is, though, he is the perfect scapegoat who took it upon himself, voluntarily, willfully died in our place. So that his perfection could be raised up in us. So that all that we have working in us now is the righteousness of God if we will let it work in us. And so when they would put the scapegoat, one of them, they would lay the sins of the entire congregation on that thing's soul. The Bible says that God made his son's soul a ransom for sin. So your sin had to be paid for by being placed upon the soul of another being. And that's what they did with that lamb. And that lamb was sent to run into the wilderness, signifying that God would remove your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. Then the other lamb was slain to pay for your sin. They could never have one lamb do both jobs until Jesus. He did everything perfectly because he took upon himself the sin of the world. And then he was slain, and then he raised up. He went to hell, and he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men. So when Jesus raised up, we were raised up with him, with all power that he had. He has willed it and given it to the church. The scapegoat carried away the sin and bore it away. So Israel was a healthy nation as long as these laws were kept, because they had a covenant of healing that said none of these diseases that he brought upon the Egyptians will be brought upon us. God makes a difference between saint and sinner. We have a covenant of health. People in the world can get healed. They get healed all the time. But they don't have a promise of continual health all the time the way we do. We can walk in divine health. You can forget about doctor's appointments and you know the stuff they used to tell you had to have every year. Now they said, well, don't get that because we think he's giving people cancer now. You see what I'm saying? So that stuff is going to change. You best to check in with Dr. Jesus before you go anywhere. Because you don't know if what they think is going to help you is going to hurt you five years from now. So your best bet is to check in with him because he says none of these diseases that he brought upon it. None of them. You are not allowed to have any disease as far as God is concerned. Amen. So under the old covenant, you could at least get healed once a year. It was a temporary measure. But the law was weak in that it had to be carried out through the flesh. So if the priest backslid, you were in bad shape. You understand what I'm saying? You just <laughs> we have like a like you know you go home and pray a little bit, get Christian TV until you find a better church. You see what I'm saying? You couldn't do that back then. So if they backslid, everybody went down with them. And so Jesus is our scapegoat, so we don't have to blame our sins on one another anymore. Isn't that wonderful? You can just take the reason, you know what, God, I'm sorry I messed up like that. I did that. I'm sorry. And you don't have to say, no, God, I wouldn't have done that if he hadn't been there talking to me like that. I never would have slapped that man upside his head like that if he hadn't been in my face. Just <laughs> say, All right, I did it, God. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, and you can be free. 
See, the runaround that we give sin sometimes delays our getting our deliverance and getting our freedom. If we're wrestling with whether or not we're to blame, Jesus said, don't worry about it. I'll take the blame. I took the blame. You can confess it as you did it, but I'll take the blame for it because I'm carrying it away in my own body. So in John 9, I want you to turn there. I'm going a little fast because I want Jeremy to share some testimonies, but I'll get to everything that I had here. John chapter 9. This is a story about the blind man. And this is, I thought it was kind of interesting because it explained to me about the atonement and, and how we can be assured that God does not want disease on us. In fact, I always tell Christians, I said, if you're obeying God, you're doing what you need to do, you're not rebellion against God, you can count really those as symptoms trying to deceive you into receiving the rest of it. So sometimes our decisions to embrace a symptom as a real disease will make all the difference in the world. Because I prayed with people before. Uh, remember Debbie? We started praying with her when we first started this ministry, and the Lord told me to tell her that if you're an obedient Christian, you can't have disease on you. Those are just symptoms. Masquerading themselves is a real thing. And for many, many years, she had symptoms of what they thought was MS, but they could never tell her exactly what it was. And she lived for maybe nine or ten years almost symptom-free. And I think she just kind of stopped believing and her faith wasn't held up and that kind of thing. But for nine years, she delayed the onslaught of what they felt was disease, simply standing on that word. That as long as I go to God, keep short accounts with God, listen, you'll never live perfect. You'll never, you'll never be able to not sin. Do you understand what I'm saying? You'll do it in your thinking. You'll fall to temptation. You can try. And let me know how many minutes you last. Huh? Jesus said, if you think it in your heart, you done messed up. Huh? Oh, everybody come clean. Huh? Covetousness. The sister came up there with that cute little pink purse. I laying hands on her. I said, Lord, have mercy. Let me give me one. Oops, excuse me, Jesus. Let me just pray. Huh? I mean, just that quick. You just, uh, Channel surfing will send you to hell if you let it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because you get in there and find some stuff. And so listen, as long as you are willing to acknowledge your sin and confess it before God, he says, you're righteous again. You stand in his righteousness. What can be easier than that? I'd much rather be forgiven than innocent. Huh? You can only be innocent one time. Forgiven you can get over and over again. Hmm? So always stand in God's righteousness, the righteousness he has provided for us. And it's not our own righteousness anyway. You think you get points for going three days without cussing at somebody? <laughs> huh? For those of us who are a little weaker in our flesh. <laughs> huh? You don't get no points for that. Because if you did, you wouldn't need Jesus. You'd be standing in his right, in your own righteousness. He's got a better righteousness for us. It's an imputed righteousness. It's one that works all the time. Where your righteousness only works when you feel good about yourself. His righteousness is imputed. It's just laid on you. So it works all the time. He said, here, honey, quit worrying yourself about your do's and your don'ts. Just put this coat on. huh? Put this righteous mink on you. And go somewhere and do something so I can bless your life and cut this nonsense out. But here in John chapter 9, Jesus is dealing with a young man. Let me see where this one starts. I just think I have to start at verse 1. It says, As Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. From his birth. He came here blind. Now, typically, parents who have a child that's not perfect or has something wrong with them, you feel like you did something wrong. Huh? That's just a common thing that goes through people's heads. Because they think to myself, well, what did I, I should have eaten better. Or I should have rested more. Should it, you know, whatever. It, it goes through people's minds. And so Jesus then has to settle this question for people. What, what was done by the parents to cause this to happen? 
This is where people mess themselves up, trying to go back and figure things out that Jesus doesn't want. It's not relevant to the case. Huh? There's a little trial I got. I'm going to digress a little bit here because I channel sir (laughs) but this trial that they got with michael jackson now their biggest issue is how far back can they go and ask about things that they've heard about he did before and bring people in that are that's going to be relevant to what's going on right now in his life and this is a big deal in courts They have to file motions and prove that this has something to do with the thing now, or they don't want to hear about it. huh? And they stick with the facts at hand for the situation at hand, because that's what's relevant now. What's relevant now is whether or not this young man committed this crime now. The one that's accusing now. That's what we were judging him on what's going on now, not what went on back then. Because we're not that concerned about back then. Back then should have taken care of itself as far as the courts are concerned. And it's very rare sometimes, unless it has some real bearing and real weight on establishing something that's pertinent to the case now, the court doesn't want you dragging all this junk up about people. My goodness, if a man don't want to hear, you know God doesn't want to hear about it. What does he care who did what that caused what? He said, none of these diseases I'm going to put on you. I don't care how they got there. Because I'm the God that heals you. Can you stick with getting healed instead of trying to wonder about what went on to get it here? Huh? So God doesn't want to hear all this old garbage about us. You know, sometimes people come up and want to get prayed for. I just did so much in my life. Which life are you talking about? Huh? Come on down. We don't have time for all that. Do you? Don't you want it? That's all Jesus ever had. Do you? Don't you want it? Huh? It's all that's pertinent here. I got ahead of myself. So verse 2, his disciples asked him the stupid question. You know, and sometimes people who are learning want to be smart already. This is the disciples do this a lot. And he says, Master, Master, intelligent question. I know I'm going to go to the head of the class if I ask this one. Who did sin? This man or his parents that he was born blind. Now, how's he going to sin in his mother's womb? You've got to be a pretty bad baby. To do. <laughs> Who did something wrong? Huh? Oh, that's religion. They want to take you back to tell you how this happened to you. You know why? They don't have the power to get it off you. Because what usually happens, they leave you stuck in your sin, stuck in your sickness, stuck in your everything. Jesus answered, neither. Neither. You mean to tell me? Well, there goes my somebody's sin theory. Well, I thought all sickness was caused by sin. It is. And I thought somebody had to sin. They do. It It ain't relevant. (laughs) throw the evidence it's not evidence (laughs) throw that out he says neither has this man sinned nor his parents why because the works of God will be manifest right now your sin is not because of what you did your your sickness is not because of what you did it's so that God's works can be manifest in you you're not sick because of something you did anymore once you're a Christian if you're sick you're sick because God needs to manifest his works in you You're sick so that God can show his glory in your healing. You're sick so that you are not sick because of what you did. Why? It's not an issue anymore. You think God's sitting up there trying to decide whether or not he's going to heal you based on something you did 15 years ago. Get real. Or last night. Get real. But see, you keep playing around with the devil. Condemnation will make you think you deserve it. That's the devil working you, honey. Just like it was the devil tearing and telling these little disciples huh, what to ask somebody. And Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day because the night will come when no man can work. He says, as long as I'm here, 
Light and healing will come to this man. This is why he's sick. You know why that boy was blind? Jesus said that boy's blind because I hadn't been here yet. Now I'm here, I'm going to heal him. Now you can talk about who sinned, who didn't sin, what the reason is if you want to, but I'm going to heal him so that the works of God will be manifest in his life. Your sickness is for the glory of God because he is your healer and will heal you. Your symptoms are for God's glory. It's not because what difference does it make? My goodness, if God isn't bigger than your filthy mouth and hairy eyeballs and, you know, hips swiveling around and huh, tight dresses and tight jeans, and he's bigger than all of that. Because his anointing will bust you right on out of that little cheap stuff that you do. Huh? It just will. Now, see, religious people don't like this. They want people to, to feel bad 15 years and be stuck in their sin and get sick and then <clears throat> so they can go to the hospice. And you can go in the hospice and go visit them and tell them the reason you're sick is because... Do you ever notice very few anointed people show up in a hospice? Huh? Because it's so so evil and, and such evil workings to try and get people's faith to manifest in that kind of an atmosphere. You can do it at the command of God. But if we would realize that we're not suffering anything because of what we did. Everything that happens in our lives is for his glory. It's so that the works of God can be manifest. That's why this young man was blind. Jesus said he's blind because I got an appointment to meet him. I have not met him yet. But just wait until I meet him and touch him. He's going to see all over the place. huh? And so it says here, the works of God should be made manifest. In verse 6, when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground, made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool which is by interpretation since Siloam. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him that was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He's like him. But he said, I'm he. Therefore, they said to him, How were your eyes opened? How were your eyes opened? Religious people always want to know how it's done. Huh? Because they stand in confusion whenever the anointing confuses religious devils. I'm telling you, what they do? How they do that? Did it? Did she push them or did they fall? Well, I ain't going up there now. I'm gonna just sit here and watch. Yeah, you come up here, you'll find out if they get pushed or if they fall. <laughs> huh? That's right. Okay. All right. <laughs> So they want to know how it was done. Never ask God how. Because it might blow your mind for 17 days if he were to show you. If you got days to sit under the anointing and just watch him go by and buzz your brain and fry it in half, you ask him how. But he's this young man finally told people, he said, I don't know if this man was a sinner or not. Once I was blind, but now I can see. Now, immediately when you're healed, the enemy will try and come and steal the healing from you. So these people questioning him, asking him how it was done. That man that prayed for you, was he a sinner or not? Was he a holy man? Was he anointed? Was he right? Oh, you went to a, you got prayed for by a woman? Well, we don't believe in women preachers here. So what, what do you, how, she had no authority. Uh, I don't know. Might have been a man in a skirt for all I know. But I know I went in there blind. She spat on some dirt and threw it on me, and now I can see. Thank you very much. That's all I want. And see, when we get, the church gets to the place where all we want are the results of God. When we get to the place where all we want are the goods, we don't care what package it's wrapped up in. When we get to the place where all we want to do is manifest the works of God in one another. Instead of looking at somebody who's had some tragedy happen in their life and try to figure out what they did to cause it. Huh? What are you doing right now to cause yours? 
<laughs> you're judging the sister over here. you got no knowledge of what's going on in her life. You see what I'm saying? And so when we learn to allow God to manifest his goodness to us, we are not in the shape. If you've got lack, if you've got poverty, if you've got trouble paying your bills, your trouble is so that works of God can be manifest in your life, period. Don't let anybody quiz you and tell you, well, you must have done something wrong. Yeah, I did, and you did too. Last time you had trouble, you did something wrong. But somehow you got out of yours, and I'm getting out of mine too. Hmm? And so a lot of this that we go through, you know, this confusion about, oh, you know, I shouldn't have done this, and uh, if I wasn't this, uh, uh, uh. Huh? Jesus said, it's only thing that's wrong with you is I haven't manifested my help in your life. That's the only thing. I didn't get here soon enough to keep you from doing this, but now that you've done it, I'm going to help you out of it. And this is what Jesus does. He himself took our infirmities. He himself bore our sicknesses. He himself did this so that none of the diseases that are put on the world will ever come on his children. Ever. Ever. Don't ever let them tell you you're terminal. There's no help for you. Jesus would come to heal people. And if he got interrupted on the way to healing them, somebody died, he went, he kept going to raise them up. See, he brings time and he brings help with him. It's never too late for him. It is never too late. I don't care if somebody's sitting on the deathbed breathing the last. It is never too late. I don't care if they're over in the hospice. They can walk out of there just like they walked in there. In Jesus' name. It's just that the Lord has not gotten to them yet is the reason that they yet suffer with these things. So I'm going to let Jeremy share some testimonies. You want to share about maybe 10, 15 minutes for us, and we'll pray for people. He and I will pray for them together. Praise God. Is this one working? We give him a mic. Praise God. He'll stir you up, gang, so we can really get in there and get the anointing for what we need to have done today. And then we'll pray for everybody that needs prayer. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Well, I'm glad I came this morning, this afternoon. How about you? Amen. Praise God. Amen. Good to be here. I haven't had the honor to sit in the service in quite a while. Been on the road. So I'm just, I'm getting stirred up. This is good stuff. Amen. Good stuff. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Glory to God. That was good preaching, folks. That was good. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, how many like testimonies? Would like to hear some testimonies. Glory to God. Uh, well, first of all, Jocelyn, stand up and bring up, bring Cohen up here. So this is my wife, Jocelyn. Most of you know. Amen. <laughs> and this is Cohen, the, our second child. He's three weeks old yesterday. So amen. this is his like third service that he's been in. So. <laughs> But he was born in an ambulance on the way to the hospital. Yeah, so <laughs> it was three weeks ago yesterday. Jocelyn woke up at three o'clock in the morning and she's, you know, she said her water broke and she started putting on her makeup and said, let's get ready. Let's start moving, you know. <laughs> so she wakes me up. It was a little after three and then she wakes me up about three thirty and I'm getting up, you know, and kind of groggy, getting eaten, dressed and stuff. And before I know it, just in instances, she says, we're not going to make it. She says, you got to call 911, you know. So I call an ambulance, and the baby was born between our house in Madison and Lake East in Painesville. So <laughs> firemen delivered him, amen. Now, that, she got up a little after 3, and the baby was born at 4.09, to let you know how fast it, how fast everything went. I was like in shock, you know. But she said faster was better, amen, everything was good, so <laughs> glory to God, <laughs> amen, you can sit down, <laughs> so praise God, that was a blessing, amen, <laughs> but, and thank you all for your prayers and your support and everything, I just am so, I mean, y'all, just, it's so good to be with you, and you've blessed us so much, thank you very much, amen, but hallelujah, hallelujah, 
So Jesus is the healer. That was one story I wanted to share. But, it, you know, beside the excitement of the baby and all the drama, we've been continuing to do the works of God. Man, that's that scripture that we just read there. Jesus said that I will do the works of him that sent me. Amen. Those are, then he heals a blind man. Those are the works of him that sent him. Amen. Those are the works of Christ to heal the sick, to open blind eyes, to cause the lame to walk. Amen. So we're going to have the Jesus wherever he was. That's what he did. And he's here today, the Bible says. If any two or more gathered in my name, I am there in the midst of them. So he is here to do the work that he's always done. Amen. To work the works that he's always worked right here today in this place. Amen. Well, in February, we did a service in Cleveland. And uh, it was a miracle service, and a sister came up, and, and she asked us to pray with her. And, and she, I asked her, what is it, you know, what can we pray with you about? And she's in the healing line. And she says, well, I have severe asthma, and I have trouble walking, and, and things like that. And I said, sister, would you take a couple laps with me around the church, I asked her, you know. And Jocelyn said she looked at me like, you know, I just told you I can't walk, you know. In fact, <laughs> she had her oxygen tank sitting back at her seat, you know. And I said, sister, would you take a couple laps? with me and she told me later reluctantly I went you know she said hoping for the best but expecting little she said so so I started to walk around with her and didn't even pray with her amen there's authority in the name of Jesus just took her by the hand and started to walk and I just said I command these lungs to come open in the name of Jesus command this asthma to leave amen we came around to the front, and I noticed that her expression had changed. Her eyes had lit up, and her face was different. And uh, I said, well, would you like to go again, I asked her, you know. And she didn't even say anything. She just takes off and bolts running. She's dragging me. I'm like this, you know, <laughs> dragging me around the church. Come to the front. I'm out of breath, okay. <laughs> Here's a woman, you know, she had severe asthma. Her oxygen tank is sitting there at her seat, and she wears me out, man. <laughs> I was wore out. Well, later on, you know, the next day she writes me a letter. We asked her to write down her testimony, uh, but her hand was shaking too much. She said she was so excited, so she sends me an email, and she says that she had, uh, in a house fire in 1998, she had received severe asthma from, I didn't even know that that could happen, from a house fire. She couldn't go up and down stairs. She couldn't walk. She could definitely couldn't run. She couldn't walk without having chest pain, very severe, 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week asthma prescription. She was on that asthma when she drove when she walked all the time and God totally set her free. Amen. Totally delivered her. Hallelujah. Jesus is alive. I saw her at a service a, a few weeks later and she was there and she was holding her child. She said two months ago, I couldn't do this. And she's holding her. So I had her come up in the service. She gave her testimony again, told everybody about the works of Christ. Amen. What Jesus did for her because he's alive today. And so many other things, lactose intolerance. There was a little girl healed of lactose intolerance. You know, she could, and then she said, I, now I could eat anything I want. And, uh, oh my, so many uh, people with raised heart rates, their heart rate came down right in the service and they took their pulse and they said, you know, now it's at, it's at the right, it, it was right and it was slower than it ever was before. Another girl who had curvature of the spine that she couldn't even touch her toes, you know. She bent down and she said, this is the first time I've ever touched my toes in a service. She bent over and touched her toes. And uh, what else, hon, since last, since January, since last time? Okay, amen. How many know that, that, that God's not just the God of healing miracles, amen. He's the God of favor miracles, of financial miracles. Sister Barb had a bunch of folks come up and prayed that needed a financial miracle this week. Well, we were in a service in March, and a man came up and asked us to pray with him for a job. He said, I need a job. He had been on disability for two years. And, you know, if you've been on disability, it's not easy to just get a job. And uh, so he'd been on disability for two years. He needed to make, he said, at least $10 an hour, start there, you know, and then go from there. And so... Um, so the man came up and we prayed with him for a job and we, I said, well, God's the God of miracles, not just healing miracles. He can work a miracle. You can get a job. Amen. So we prayed with him. The man turned around and went back. Now, before he left the service, okay, before he left the building, a man comes up to him and says, I believe you could get a job at my place. He said, gave him a phone number and amen, gave him a phone number. That he called them. They called him Tuesday. The you know the play, he contacted them. They called him Tuesday. He started working that Wednesday after two years on disability. 
started at $10 an hour, and they said within a few weeks he'd be up to 14 something you know, praise God, after his trial period was over. That's a miracle, you know, amen. You can write that off as coincidence. You can say whatever you want. The man hadn't worked in two years. He came up for prayer before he left the building. God had a job for the man, amen. Hallelujah. He is real, amen. He's alive today. And there's nothing that's impossible for him. So if you're here today and you need God to do something in your body, you need God to do something in your finances, you need God to do something in your family. Sister Barb said he's the same God now as he was then. Amen. Same God that parted the Red Sea. Same God that rained manna from heaven. Same God that raised the dead. Same God that destroyed the walls of Jericho. And we need to think the size of our God, don't we? We need to expect the size of our God. We need to live our life as big as our God is. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Well, I'm just so honored to be here, and I'm I'm stirred up, folks. Amen. This is a a place of faith, a place of expectancy. I just come. It's good to just come in here and get charged up. Amen. Sister Barb, praise God. Amen. All right. Hallelujah. Anybody who needs hands laid on you. Jesus is here. Amen. Come forward right now. Today's your day. I tell all those stories for two reasons. One, to glorify God. Two, to say that he's no respecter of persons. Whatever he did for those people, he'll do for you here in this place today. He's no respecter of places. Whatever he did in another city or another place, he'll do here today. Amen. Lift up those hands. Let's just worship Him in this place tonight. This is our time to worship Him. To worship Him is to know Him and to love Him.
I cannot explain. 